thank you for inviting me to join you today. I would have loved to have been there in person and hopefully I'll be able to do that sometime soon. This time last year, I actually lived about 30 minutes away from North Epping in Five Dock, where my husband, Matt, was the assistant minister at St Albans. That's where we first met Tom and Vanessa about 10 years ago. And so my life this year looks very different to what it did last year, where I live, the work I do, the people I spend my time with. And I'm sure that's true for you, as the impact of coronavirus has spread across our world. And so because of all this change and all this newness, I've really held on to core things for both myself and for Compassion Australia. And those three core things have been our God's steadfastness and his love, our God's compassion for those in need, and our God's desire for justice. And so today, I really wanted to spend some time thinking through what justice looks like during coronavirus and how we can help to bring justice across the world. And for me, this might be a bit of an unusual image I think justice looks like this. This is a picture of my dining table at home. About 10 years ago, scrabbling underneath the hall at church, as we sort of went through cobwebs, I was petrified rats and mice were going to come up. We found a stack of about 15 trestle tables all underneath the stage with their legs. And we adopted this one because it was the biggest one. And when I look at this table, I don't see the flecks of paint that have been scattered across it. I don't see the scratches. I don't see that it's lopsided and really is a bit worrying about falling over. I see the times that we've shared with our friends, our family and our community around these tables. I've loved filling this table with mountains of food and inviting people to join us. There's been many celebrations at this table, but not only that. There's been tears shed. There's been joy There's been plans and strategies, but there's also been failures and times where we're joined together to grieve. This table has filled a central part in our community. And this is the reason why I think my table and tables in general speak to us about justice. Because tables are meant to bring people together. The best meals are the ones you share with friends and with family. The picnics on the beach, the dinner table conversations you have each night the special moments where you go out with friends to celebrate. Tables are meant to bring us together. And we find this in scripture as well. The Bible is filled with meals and feasts because eating brings people together. And so the image of a table, a feast, generous hospitality speaks of justice. I want to look at this throughout the Bible today, starting with the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah uses the image of hospitality to hold out to us the promise of restored relationships with God. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 8. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On the mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers up all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from the earth. The Lord has spoken. Can you imagine this table? The table filled with the best wines, the best meats. It's filled to overflowing, straining under the burden of the food that God has provided. It's an abundant, beautiful promise of divine hospitality. It's an image of deep fellowship and it works on many levels. Firstly, the promise that God will provide for our basic needs abundantly. 
In the new creation, there'll be no more hunger, no more thirst. Sickness, sorrow will stop. But it's also a promise that God will satisfy our deeper needs. In the new creation, there will be no more isolation, no more exclusion, no more injustice. Because in Jesus Christ, everyone is invited to the table. The poor, the powerless will not be left out. See how Isaiah puts it? At the moment, it's like the world is tangled up in a heavy shroud. A thick sheet blankets the nations in darkness. And haven't we felt that this year? Each day as we look at daily death tolls and infection rates, it feels like our world is covered in darkness and a shroud. And this is the same environment Isaiah was speaking into. Israel felt this too. But God has promised a day is coming when that shroud will be removed, it will be destroyed, and he will swallow up death forever. We will eat at the table that God has provided and prepared where creation is renewed, wrongs are righted, and justice is done. But to understand how this justice will be achieved, to understand what unites us in fellowship, we need to look to another meal, the meal that Jesus shared with his disciples the night before he died. All gospels share an account of this meal, showing the importance that it has. And I'm going to share from Matthew's gospel today. Matthew 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now, on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. The meal that Jesus and his disciples are eating was a Passover. It was that moment where Israel celebrated the time where God led them out of slavery, where he saved Israel from Egypt. He led them from Egypt through the Red Sea, through the night, to a land flowing with milk and honey. The meal is to celebrate God bringing justice for the Israelites. But Jesus is not looking backwards at this meal. He's looking forwards to the work that God will do in bringing salvation for all through his death. The Passover was a celebration of God's judgment passing over Israel to their oppressors, Egypt. But this meal is a celebration of God's judgment passing over us and falling on to Jesus. In Egypt, God punished the guilty so the innocent could go free. And this was justice. But this new meal we remember, the innocent one was punished, so us, the guilty, could go free. And God has finally brought justice for all. In this, God invites us to his table and lays out this amazing feast, full to overflowing with love and a restored relationship. So tables help us understand God's promise for a new creation and it helps us understand how we can bring justice to all nations. Tables are meant to bring people together, especially this table the Lord has provided. And so injustice, leaving people out, allowing some to go hungry, is unthinkable for a community that is gathered around Jesus and share the meal he offers. 
The Apostle Paul actually talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11, how we should properly share this meal of Jesus. He's writing to Corinth, and it was a boom town in the Roman Emperor. It was glitz, it was glamour, it was dog-eat-dog world. Everyone knew their place, and they needed to stay there. In Corinth, might was right, and those with power and might lorded it over those without. And they just thought this is the way life should be. The gods had ordained the social structure. But these values of the city of Corinth began to seep into the church. And this is the way they started to celebrate the Lord's Supper. But Paul has something to say about this. Let's read through 1 Corinthians 11 and hear what he's saying to the Corinthians. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Can you hear Paul's sarcasm, his frustration, his anger? Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? But why is he so angry? He goes on, and so we can discover the reason that he believes they should be celebrating this meal. 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. This meal is meant to proclaim something wonderful. It proclaims God's love for us and the justice he brought to us. It proclaims Jesus' costly sacrifice, his laying aside of his power and his rights to lift up those, us, with no power. And yet in Corinth, they celebrate this meal like justice does not reign. The rich eat first, the poor eat last. The rich get the the best beats and the best seats near the host, while the poor and powerless wait outside going hungry. Their meal, Corinth's meal, reinforces the injustice of the city, almost as if they believe God is not big enough to bring justice. This meal reinforces divisions and does not bring unity in Corinth. But what does Paul say? When we eat and drink, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Jesus is coming back and he did not die in order for injustice to reign. And when he comes, he will bring justice for all because Jesus' heart beats for justice. He will overturn all the world's power structures because everyone is invited to his table. In Greek, there is a word that we translate into fellowship. And it speaks of a unity, a partnership, a sharing and a participation. This profound bond that is based not on who is powerful, not on who is popular, not on who is beautiful, but is based on the grace and generosity which God has shown to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this fellowship overturns the world's structures. It overturns the status quo and it seeks to bring hospitality and justice to the world. A couple of years ago, I read a wonderful book by a lady called Christine Pohl. Uh, it's about it's called Making Rooms, and it's about bringing back hosp- hospitality as a subversive practice. I just want to share one quote with you, and I want you to really listen and think through how hospitality can overturn world structures. 
a community which embodies hospitality to strangers is a sign of contradiction, a place where joy and pain, crisis and peace are closely interwoven. Friendships forged in hospitality contradict contemporary messages about who is valuable and good to be with, who can give life to others. Such communities are also signs of hope that love is possible, that the world is not condemned to struggle between oppressors and oppressed, that class and racial warfare is not inevitable. The gift of hope embedded in these communities of hospitality nourishes, challenges and transforms guests, hosts and sometimes a larger community. Did you hear that point? Hospitality overturns injustice by inviting others into fellowship. Back in 2018, I got to participate in a meal that overturned the social structures. It was on my first trip for Compassion. I wasn't working for them at the time. Actually, if you told me that I would currently be in this role, I would have laughed and never imagined it. But we'd organised a trip with our church to the Philippines and we were about to visit a tiny little church in Araga and Legazpi. We had to drive about two and a half hours from our hotel through windy roads, through tiny villages, shadowed the whole time by this volcano that was smoking because it had erupted six months ago. So it was a nerve-wracking drive um, and many pulling over. But when we arrived, the church was so excited we had come. We were the first sponsor that had ever visited this church. And so as we got out of the bus, there was dancing, there was laughing, there was joy. We got tours around the whole centre. We heard their hopes, we heard their dreams. And then they invited us to a meal. And by world standards, there was nothing that this church could offer us. They were so extremely poor. Their buildings were dilapidated. Their families lived day by day, hoping for enough food. There was this glaring power imbalance between us and them. But they invited us to share a traditional Filipino meal called a boodle fight. Now what happens is they they line up tables along the centre of the room, they lay palm leaves down, and then they pile food on top. Uh, There was rice, there was meats, there was vegetables, there was fruit. It was all laid out. And then everybody lines up along two sides of the table. And you don't use knives and forks because they have this special way of eating where you pick up with one hand and you manage to put the food in your mouth without your fingers touching your mouth, apparently. I couldn't do this. Actually, no one in our team could do this. And so we're all lined up down this table and the Filipinos are enjoying food and the Australians are basically picking up food and chucking it at their mouth hoping some food will get in their mouth. Instead, it actually basically ends up all over the floor. But amongst this hilarity and started conversations because either we were eating or there was language barriers, we found fellowship. As we gathered around this table, it turned our worlds upside down. The poorest of the poor shared out of their abundance with us, while us, so powerful and so wealthy, were humbled and blessed. Their faith and hope in God showed my own spiritual poverty and need, and our shared faith in Lord Jesus Christ meant we gathered not as rich and poor or weak and strong, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. We found fellowship around their table. So this table, our tables, help us understand justice help us bring others into fellowship. 
But how does this help us know what we can do to seek justice during corona? How can we extend our tables? COVID means that we have to be much more imaginative and creative because sometimes I can't invite my next door neighbour into my table. I can't invite my friends to my house. But it does not mean that hospitality is not possible. The sharing of food, the giving of time, the provisions of needs, the breaking down of isolation are still possible. And this image of of a table also gives us a way to approach justice across the world because the pandemic has reminded us that we are far more connected to people around the world than we ever realised. And many of them are even more vulnerable than we are. For people who live in extreme poverty, the virus is just one more threat, one more shroud that hangs over their daily lives, leaving them impoverished, isolated and powerless. The statistics are really scary. For the first time in almost two decades, we will see greater numbers of people living in extreme poverty than ever before, with predictions of upwards of 70 million. How does a family who is already malnourished survive the coronavirus? How does a slum community where families of 10 cram into tiny tin sheds, jam next to each other, socially distance? How do families who rely on a daily wage but who have parents who cannot get to their workplace earn money for food? These are questions that millions around the world are facing every day. It can seem impossible to know what justice for these communities looks like. And it may seem impossible to know how we can extend our tables to help them across the world. And yet I really want to finish by encouraging you because God invited you to his table and he promises us to provide. His hospitality always meets our needs. And as we trust in him to provide our needs, we can be generous. We can share our tables with others in need. And that's what I see happening through our partnership with you at All Saints. You have extended your table to many in Tanzania. You've brought justice to many children, to many communities. You've begun to show them what justice of being invited to God's table is like. And I'm so thankful for the work that you've done, for the visits you've made to these projects so that you can understand the children's lives. Unfortunately, because of corona, Tanzania probably looks quite different um, these days. Our projects have had to shut down, and so the churches have found new, imaginative and creative ways to extend their tables, and you've helped enable this. I find the stories that we hear just amazing. We've had churches visiting children in home, delivering food, hygiene kits, spending time listening and praying. We've had some churches have services on WhatsApp. We have stories of ingenuity, churches making hand sanitizer, building wash basins out of plastic bottles that have been discarded. We've had stories of mad dashes to hospitals as mums and bubs participants need to deliver their first child. You have enabled this by extending your table to these churches. And so today I ask if you could consider extending your table further. Can you consider sponsoring a child? We currently have more unsponsored children than we have ever had before because many of our supporters have been impacted by COVID. 
and we have families throughout all the countries we work in in greater need than ever before. Can you consider extending your table to one of these children? Can you consider the monthly support so that they can have access to basic needs and so that they can begin to understand the promise of justice that Jesus holds out to them? If this is a possibility for you, then you can go to the link on the screen below to support a child from the region that your partnership is within Tanzania. Or you can go to our website, compassion.com.au, and support a child from one of the 25 countries that we work in. I thank you for your partnership and for the invitation today to speak with you. I know this is not an easy time for many, and many of our daily normal activities have been stopped. But remember, some things haven't changed. Our God's steadfastness and love, our God's compassion for those in need, and our God's desire for justice. He has empowered and called his church to invite the world to his table to overturn injustice throughout the nations.